Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. Nothing circles the wagons quite like the National Football League. Some shakeup in the top 10 of college football. Quite an interesting trade coming across the wire over in the NBA. Major League Baseball postseason races get closer to their finishes as teams vie for the final wildcard spots and some excitement on the diamond before the season ends in the upcoming week. But as we mentioned, nothing circles the wagons quite like the National Football League. We're three weeks in. We told you all last week that there was no need to panic for some 0-2 teams. No need to panic at 0-2 quite yet. But if you turn the page and turn into 0-3, then it might be time to raise some red flags and potentially run into some problems. Some teams that did that get to play each other on Sunday. The Denver Broncos and the Chicago Bears, 2-0-3 Titans taking the field. Historic losses over the weekend. More historic on the Broncos side. We got into that. Maybe not. Ugliness abounds. When you give up 70 points in historic fashion, it's one of those games you'll always remember where you were. Nice to make history if you're a Denver Broncos fan. I guess the most surprising of the Owen threes where you didn't expect such a feat. Although one might should Minnesota Vikings dropped to Owen three. They've lost three incredibly close games in Kirk cousins and Minnesota Vikings fashion falling to the bucks, Eagles and chargers, all three games by less than a touchdown one by three, one by four, not necessarily great. So their season is in dire straits when it comes to the Owen threes There are some other storylines that are eye-raising, but the big talk of the town is I'm sure you've been waiting all week to talk to me about, Al. The Kansas City Chiefs have a new fan. They stole this fan away from Jason Kelsey and the Philadelphia Eagles. She now is in full support of the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's one Taylor Swift. Showed up to the game to watch Travis Kelsey play football. I immediately put down an anytime touchdown score bet on Travis Kelsey, which cashed. You're not going to have her come to the game and not throw him a touchdown pass. So thank you to Patrick Mahomes. Looked a little dicey there for a second. They were just running their normal offense, throwing it to random running backs. Hey, get it to the tight end, man. He's trying to make an impression on this girl. Nobody... And I mean, nobody could and cannot stop talking about Taylor Swift now being a fan of Travis Kelsey and the Kansas City Chiefs. His jersey sales went up 
percent. He got four hundred thousand plus more Instagram and social media followers. People are asking them on their podcast in the Heights, the Travis and Jason podcast, just like common football questions. Like, how do you how do you catch a spiral? What is a field goal? And they're answering them like very professionally and seriously because a lot of these people have no idea what's going on in football. So the New Heights podcast has now become a Swifty question and answer session, at least for last week, on how football is played. To me, it is very funny that Taylor Swift took over one week of the National Football League for how obsessed football fans are with their product. They'll watch garbage Thursday night game after garbage Thursday night game, which is happening as we speak on Amazon Prime between the Packers and the Lions. They eat, breathe, drink, pray football. And one girl showed up to a game and completely threw the sport on its axis where everybody talked about her screaming in the box. Let's fucking go after Travis Kelsey scored a touchdown. So as a Broncos fan and a Taylor Swift fan, since we were probably 16 or 17 years old, not only did I have to watch my team lose by 50 points to the Miami Dolphins in historic fashion. I then had to watch Taylor Swift don Chiefs gear and cheer for Kansas City for three hours. Multiple camera shot after multiple camera shot while they rolled the Chicago Bears. Quite the Sunday over here at the Lund household. How was yours? Well... Do yeah, I need to nice. explain to you the albums and the new the Eras tour and those types of things? That's maybe not of as big of interest for you in this episode. That can be put off to a later date <laughs> because we don't want to bore all of our avid Taylor Swift fans. I believe as your your friend Christopher Mad Dog Russo is quoted as saying, she could have been naked in the box and I still wouldn't have cared to see. That's pretty much the sentiment, I believe, of your generation of Taylor Swift being at the game. We got it. Okay. The point is, from the NFL perspective, and this is no knock on Taylor Swift. I just wouldn't know one of her songs, you know, if you played it for me right now. That's the God's honest truth. I know she's wildly popular. I presume she's somewhat talented. Uh, I've never really taken a long enough look to find out, you know, how well she sings or dances. Uh, she entertains, obviously, because everybody goes nuts over. Uh, but I mean, Roger Goodell just has to be smiling ear to ear. What could be better than a massive new influx of National Football League fans when you mix one form of entertainment with another because of this massive superstar who happens to be dating you know, an NFL star who's also one of the most important members, probably the second most important member, third most important member on the reigning Super Bowl champs. So it really is. And now, right afterwards, they come to New York. So, uh, you know, just when you thought it was just going to be a one week hype, uh uh-uh. they're coming to New York. Do you think she's going to be here? I mean, would you be shocked if she's not here? 
I would be. It's New York, baby. It's in Kansas City. The way the rumors are swirling is she's going to be there. So her first soiree into this fandom. Now, she supposedly, from her parents, likes football, knows of football, grew up watching football, Eagles fan, etc. But imagine you're cheering for someone and you're subjected to the Bears and then these New York Jets. Now, shout out to Travis Kelsey. He knows what he's doing. This is like the move you would pull in high school where you're talking about this girl from a couple schools over and everybody's like, dude, she's not coming to the game. There's no way. And you keep telling her about it, keep telling her about it. Meanwhile, though, the team's garbage, and you know you're going to win. <laughs> He's having this two weeks in a row now. Yeah, come watch me play. It'll be great. You'll enjoy yourself, knowing that they're going to dominate both times. Very well played by Travis Kelsey. Look, the dude makes all the right moves. He's a great player. He's capitalized off the field. He's incredibly entertaining. Hosted Saturday Night Live. He's got the podcast with his brother. The dude's hysterical. And, you know, the, the very odd look when they were walking through the locker room, not hand in hand, you know, hands to their side. It's kind of like mechanical march that they made. Great for the NFL. Great cross promotion. Uh, and she'll be here in New York this weekend. It will be wild. Uh, it will be the most entertaining thing going on in that stadium. Because in all probability, the Chiefs will blow the bills out of the building. The weather's going to clear up for Sunday, so it won't be a slop fest. The rain's going to uh, clear out Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, I believe, so they'll have better weather to play in. And you would think if things continue to go the way they've gone, that Kansas City would you know, blow the bills out. But as we said last week, it's the National Football League. So you know, all we know is what we don't know. Sight the unbeatable, newly minted, dominant, Super Bowl favorite Dallas Cowboys getting run over by the hapless Arizona Cardinals yeah. in Arizona when, and I understand, the Cardinals had a huge lead against the Giants. So it's not like they've been completely incompetent. But after the way the Cowboys had demolished two opponents, the New York teams, and what is he telling us about the New York teams, uh, in the Giants in the opener and the Jets in game two, they go off to the Cardinals, who are playing you know, with the former volunteer quarterback uh, because their Heisman Trophy winner quarterback uh, making his massive mega salary is out until 2027, I think, or maybe he's going to go play baseball. Who knows? But the point is, uh, they destroyed the Cowboys, the line of scrimmage. They ran for over 200 yards, and the Cowboys look nothing remotely resembling like the team we saw the last two weeks. And they're no longer undefeated. We still have most of the undefeateds in the NFC. My Ravens, you know, in terms of those calling in to the Kelsey brothers, you know, John Harbaugh may have been one of those callers asking about clock management because he literally gave away as bad as the Ravens were with their four fumbles and two turnovers and their inability to put the game away. John Harbaugh literally handed the game to the Indianapolis Colts with his mismanagement. Mismanagement is an, it is such an understatement, right? His absolute abortion that he committed with respect to clock management, you know, after they 
stopped Indianapolis in their own end zone for the safety. When yes, uh, Minshew stepped out, but he was tackled anyway. But the point is, I thought it was inside the two-minute warning, but because he stepped out of the end zone, they recycled the clock. And John Harbaugh says, you know, we didn't realize it. We couldn't communicate to Zay Flowers, you know, to not fair catch it. First of all, why would you fair catch it anyway? The guy's kicking from his own 20. Catch it and run it back and get some field position. So you're not back at your own 20-yard line regardless. But he said, don't do it because, you know, it's inside the two-minute warning. Well, John, you know, how about calling a timeout? Because if you call a timeout, you can then communicate it to Zay Flowers. Hey, it, it, it's outside the two-minute warning. You recycled the clock. We need you to catch it. Get as much as you can. Make sure we're inside the two-minute warning because then all they've got one timeout. We run, even if we just run the ball three times, they're going to get it with 20 seconds left. But not John Harbaugh. No, not, not Super Bowl winning John. Fair catch it, 202 to go. And then dead insult to injuries, since there's only 202 to go, why don't you throw the ball? Running is meaningless because the clock's going to stop with a two minute warning anyway. So they run and they get a yard or two you know, with your best running back out of the game. Why not throw the ball there? Because it's going to go to the two minute warning anyway. But no, run the ball two yards and then run the ball again. Timeout. And then on third and long, after they spent their last time out, what do you do? Instead of going for it and putting the game away with your $54 million a year quarterback and giving him a chance to put the game away, what do you do? You run a jet sweep to Zay Flowers and get called for a penalty, which stops the clock again. It was literally one of the most incompetent possessions in the history of the National Football League. And this is a Super Bowl winning coach who just signed an extension, who I know is a good coach. But what John Harbaugh does down the stretch of games makes people forget, and I said I said this tonight, you know, to your friend and mine uh, on Mad Dog Radio, the great Philly fan himself, TB, TB, there, there we go, uh, Tommy Byrne, who has for years complained about Andy Reid's clock management while in Philadelphia. John Harbaugh's taken it to a new level. I mean, remember, this is a Super Bowl winning coach who does this. They did other terrible things in that game, but for the coach to mismanage the last two minutes like that, he literally looks clueless at the end of these games. Like he's got no idea what's going on. And he looked that way again. And he takes the heat afterwards saying, you know, we, we couldn't get the, how can you not get it in? You know, yo, Zay, don't fair catch it. How hard is that? Right. Somebody run out on the field and tell Zay not to fair catch it? How hard is that to do? It's not like, you know, you're trying to give him some instructions and you're in Ethiopia, you know, with a, with a string and a cup. Oh, what world are we in here? You had timeouts. Use one. That's what they're there for. And just tell your... Tell your guy, your return man, say they recycled the clock. It's outside of two minutes. We need to get you inside of two minutes with this catch. So take it, run it up, protect the ball. Protect the ball, but make sure you get as much as you can and get it inside of two minutes. But no, it is bad a possession as there's ever been in the history of the National Football League. 
That's what John Harbaugh authored. And it literally cost the Ravens the game because they wind up with, you know, a 61 yard attempt by the great Justin Tucker, the best kicker of all time. And it comes up, you know, a yard short. And, he, and it's, it's amazing. He actually was criticized for missing a 61 yard field goal because no one ever expects him to miss. You know, Justin Tucker didn't come through 61 yards. Make it sound like, you know, he missed a 40 yarder. And obviously the Colts kicker was out of his mind, knocking through four plus 50 yard field goals for the first time in history. So, you know, the Ravens gave away a game. They clearly should have won. Uh, and now they go on the road for a brutal stretch with, uh, you know, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and Europe. I think Europe is in between there. Uh, maybe not. Maybe it's Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and then to Europe, but all on the road. So instead of being three and oh, they could be staring at two and three and three or two and four. Uh, granted, it's you know, Nashville on the road or Tennessee on the road, excuse me. Uh, but still, you never know what happens when you go across when you go across the pond. I wish it was Europe, and, like they have their own all-American type team, and you just play like the best dudes from over there. <laughs> that would be exciting. Never played football right. before, like just rugby guys, soccer guys. They throw them out there. Right. Okay. Uh, Frank maybe, just, John, maybe, <laughs> maybe maybe John Harbaugh would have a better understanding yeah. the rules over there. Right. I, I don't know. But the point is they had a, a chance to jump to 3-0 and and get themselves off to a great start despite the injuries, and uh, now they're back at 2-1, and one, as are the Browns, uh, as are the Steelers. And Cincinnati comes through and wins their first game, you know, despite a clearly hindered and limited Joe Burrow. Uh, and you really wonder, in terms of the way he looked the other night in their win against the Rams, just how long can he go? Because he looks like he is moving very, very cautiously. And their offensive line, as you know, as we've seen many, many times, is still not very strong at protecting the passer. And, you know, if he's got to move, you wonder just how much he can and how much that cap is at risk of a further injury, which would be incredibly damaging for both the Bengals season and his career. Because obviously, you know, we all know what the, the worst case scenario is with the injured calf. See Aaron Rodgers, see Kevin Durant. And that, of course, is, is the Achilles. And, of course, you think, what if they had just maybe not played him to start the season if he wasn't ready right away? You can't look back in history, and obviously people will if he were to get hurt further. Would they have still been in this same position after three games with him out? And now he could have been coming back in full health to see what he would do in week four. But Jake Browning, I just looked up to see who it was, would have been the quarterback. At least he's listed as number two on the depth chart. Maybe they would have made a, a quick signing to see if they could get through the first three games. Who knows? But that is definitely something to keep an eye on. It's interesting you brought up the Jim, the John Harbaugh thing, and it happens every week. And I'm not somebody that played football, so I don't want to be a guy yelling from my armchair every weekend about stupid decisions and why they do this. And you end up getting spoiled because either Scott Hansen is spending one of his eight hours of commercial free football screaming over the broadcast like he enjoys to do, or you're on social media and everybody is aghast at what's happening in certain games. 
Perfect example was the Rock'em Sock'em Robots for who could make the stupidest decision at the end of the game between the Chargers and the Vikings. Brandon Staley goes from, this dude's going to lose his job for his decision-making on fourth downs late, clock management, what are you doings, to then 30-something seconds left, first down Vikings, we're in prime position to score, we're in the red zone, okay, what are we going to do now? And no one's doing anything. They're down four. There's panic. Why aren't we doing anything? Still not doing anything. Kurt Cousins then is running over to the guys, calling plays. Spike the football, dude. Oh, he couldn't hear the play call coming in from the sideline. It was too loud. It ended up being what he thought the play call would be, so at least they were on the same page calling the right play call. In the panic, after 20-something seconds, he throws an interception, Chargers win. What are we doing sometimes, Al? This isn't to signify just one team. It happens multiple times every week, not just in the NFL, but college football. The NFL, of course, is under the much larger microscope. What do they, they need do? to hire somebody on the sideline to just have logic? What What are they doing in practice at the end? You know, they talk about you know all these teams practice these plays, the two minute offense, uh, you know, the four minute yada yada. What are they watching in film film sessions? These last couple minutes, these last thirty seconds, fifty seconds, eighty seconds of games. You know, in obviously in the NFL, you have the two minute warning to work around. So it's another thing you have to factor in. But what, what is what is the mindset? What are you looking at? Do you see the clock? I mean, it, you've got headphones on. What are they? Are, are you listening to Taylor Swift in the headphones? What What, what are you doing? <laughs> There's is, tens is, is, of is, coaches is, on these staffs. Like we're not at the high school there? football game where there's just three guys on the sideline. Is there's there tens of guys. Somebody, is there somebody up there who likes me? Is there somebody up there who has a shred of common sense who says, coach, coach, hang on, hang on. You know, before the free kick, coach, they, they rewind the clock. Nobody's sitting uh, it's your own building. You can't find the game clock. It's right up there. How can you possibly miss it? You've got this absolute battery of assistant coaches in a press box, all with headsets on, all with this incredible fountain of knowledge. And no one thought, hey, you know, because he stepped out of bounds before the tackle, they stopped the clock outside the two-minute warning. We got to catch this thing and run with it to get it under the two-minute warning, and then we're home free. They'll get the ball back, best-case scenario, 20 seconds and no timeouts. But no, fair catch it. <laughs> On top of the fact that you give up field position when you do that. Because punting from his 20, his 20, it's just, it's mind-numbing. No, their minds, are, I, should, I take it back, their minds are numb. I mean, there's no rocket scientists you know, on these NFL sidelines. You know, Bill Belichick is he, he's, hes all by himself. And even he was panic-stricken at the end of the Super Bowl with, with Seattle because he didn't know what to do. But that's because he didn't know what to do. Right. And it was understandable on what I should what, what do or should I call timeout or not call timeout because that was a tough call. He was in a rock and a hard place.
But this was as obvious as the day is long. And it just makes me think that, you know, as much as I think he's a, he's a really good coach, that John Harbaugh is dumb as a fucking box of rocks. Because when it comes to showing any common sense, you know, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, the chances are it's a duck. And he does this shit time after time after time. And it costs the Ravens games. And I understand there are other ways they lost that game. But the guy on the sidelines committed a major blunder, which cost this team an absolute I, I don't know what the numbers were, you know, with the analytics, et cetera, but I, I know that they had a 99% chance to win the game when they got the ball back. And he, he just completely botched. He completely, it's one thing to misread it, but then to not be able to communicate it to your team, not have to wherewithal to realize, all right, we got a timeout. Well, we got to call a timeout here because this is massive. It's the most important, most crucial point of the game. Now we got a chance to wrap it up. We got to get inside of two minutes, so we got to make sure that got to call a timeout, get squared away. But no, he, he, so he just adds insult to injury. He compounds his own buffoonery by not calling a timeout, and you you literally look at it. And you shake your head in wonderment with all the things that they do and all their vast knowledge and their ability to take in information and things they commit to memory and all the game planning they must do and all that's on their plate. They can't read a fucking clock. They can't read the three numbers on the fucking clock and see that it starts with a two. I don't know if it's, too much overthinking, just not enough thinking in general, but it's every week. And then when they try to explain it, it just compounds. It's worse, right. The idiocy. It's worse. Because what they try to explain makes no sense. You could go from being a Broncos fan watching Denver lose 70 to 20, just get shamed with their former ball boy as head coach that they didn't interview in any of the coaching processes. Nice. Showed mercy, not kicking a field goal to score the most points in NFL history. So doesn't want that bad karma. I got you, man. You could watch that game and then watch how the chargers decided their last couple plays. And then how the Raiders finished off their game and feel better about yourself after losing by 50 than watching those two teams close out football games. Well, look, Brandon Staley, I mean, it, you know, enough already. I mean, just enough. I mean, it, it, that, that's Cassidy Hutchinson's new book. It should, it should be the Chargers playbook. It's just ludicrous. Years and years ago, little old report story for you. Years and years ago, the University of Tennessee uh, had a terrific team. And their coach was a guy by the name of Bill Battle, who at the time was one of the youngest coaches in the country. He's a very good young coach. And I don't remember who they were playing, but it was back in the days of the 
older folks who are listening to this will recognize the names of the great Conridge Holloway, fabulous, one of the first black quarterbacks, maybe the first black quarterback in the SEC. He's one of the, maybe the most exciting college football player I've ever seen. Certainly one of them. Uh, Stanley Morgan, you probably heard of his son, Stanley Morgan Jr. Um, and they're playing an SEC game and they had the lead with you know, a couple minutes to go and they had a fourth and one deep in their own ter- territory. And this is back in my day where you never went for fourth and one in your own territory. You know, no matter what the situation, you're in, you're in your own 22, 23, 27 yard line, or obviously you know, a- anywhere inside the 50, you're punting. Right? And they were deep in their territory, 25 yard line, whatever. And they went for it and they didn't make it. And the opposition obviously got the ball back and scored. And I remember reading in my Sports Illustrated that week that Bill Battle was quoted in Sports Illustrated on how badly a decision that was. And he literally, in the locker room postgame, apologized to his team because the loss was his fault. He put his defense in a precarious position and he's got to do a better job. And he was complete to complete blame for the loss and i let down my team i let down the school etc cetera, etc cetera. brendan staley does this every week every fucking week mr analytics with the fourth and one at the 25 yard line i mean enough already how many times are you going to do it and no matter which way you go you go bass backwards i mean he's just i don't know however smart he thinks he is he's a total fucking idiot he coaches games like a fucking idiot, not like a football coach. Coach like a football coach. Not a fucking mathematician. Put away the slide rule, right? Dump the analytics and coach your fucking team and do what's right. You know, do the logical fucking thing. Fourth and one, deep, few seconds to go, punt. Punt. They need a touchdown. But not Brandon. Yeah. Got four downs. Let's use them all. No matter how damaging that fourth one could be. Yeah. Chances are, but the analytics say if we get the first down, we win 100% of the time. The analytics say if we punt, we win 98% of the time. So we don't want to punt because our chances are better to win if we get the first down. Yeah, but you got to get the fucking first down. Which is the part they always leave out of the equation. But, you know, our chances of getting the first down are 75%. So if you multiply the 75% times the 100% and then you subtract it from the 97% and the point, enough already. Forget about the, the best chance to win the game. What's the best chance to lose the fucking game? Right. You're doing it more often than not. The best chance to lose the fucking game is by doing exactly what you did. And they never look at it that way. They never look at it that way. And Justin Herbert's been great. But how the game plan seemingly is, is let's screw everything up and then hope that he can pull a rabbit out of his hat again and again 
every fourth and quarter and, somehow and, when these games. And they, and they lost Mike Williams for the year. Yep. Sucks for Mike Williams. Unfortunately, uh, typical uh, Mike Williams hurt season ending. Jesus, too much. Austin Austin Eckler is out. Correct. Yep, he's been banged up. They so, threw it to Keenan Allen six thousand times. <laughs> I mean, he is. It, it, it's amazing because you know Keenan Allen's not twenty five years old anymore. He he, he catches everything. And he's always open. Always. I mean, he's got to be 32, 33 years old, isn't he? He's something else. Feed him more if you can. That's, I guess that's how you just win. Just throw it to the same guy every time. Two guys who just, they catch everything. They're, they're, they're different. You know, one's big. He's a beast. And he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. That's Mike Evans. And the other is the, the possession guy who just seems on all types of routes. He's not wide open. He's always just open. He's open just enough to make the catch. Doesn't create a lot of space. Just enough. He, he and Mike Evans. Can I get one of those guys on my team? Because they're always there. They were always there. They're tough covers. They catch Keenan Allen never drops a ball. Never drops a ball. And Mike Evans is—he's a monster. He's a monster. It just looks like he's bigger and physically stronger than every defensive back. If you also watched the end of the Raiders game, you'd again just be kicking the dirt in front of your house, digging a hole to nowhere. Josh McDaniels still has a job as a head coach somehow, some way. I guess the Denver situation wasn't enough. I remember those days. Kicks a field goal down eight with two minutes and 13 seconds to go to pull to within having to score a touchdown again. Thinking that his defense would stop the Steelers with their timeouts, they'd get the ball right back with no timeouts, be able to run up the field. That did not happen. It didn't take too much longer, but long enough to where they got the ball back with, I don't know, 20 seconds left or so. Garoppolo just threw it up for grabs interception. That came on the drive before when they did decide to kick a field goal after they had decided to kick a field goal earlier and it was nullified by a penalty, 15 yards, first down Raiders. So at that point, you've got house money. Let's score, man. You're down at the eight. Throw it in the end zone a couple times. Kick the field goal. So you have to score another touchdown. I don't get it. I don't know, again, as you were saying, those analytic guys yelling in the headphones, don't know where they're getting hired from, where they're found. I wouldn't have done it myself. Again, I'm sitting at home. What do I know? But when fans at stadiums are like audibly moaning when you're doing things, that kind of tells you all you need to know about what's happening in the play or the decision that was made. No more inaudible of a moan, Al. Perhaps in 
the tops of college football history than what we saw happen at the end of the Notre Dame game. Sold out crowd hosting Ohio State. First time they're playing in a long time. A 6-9 matchup. This is the place to be. Tickets going for a grand just to get in the door. Place as green as it should be. And the game delivered. At least the game delivered into being close. If Ryan Day's decision-making maybe was a little wiser on some play calling, if players made those plays on short fourth and ones, the score could have looked a lot different at the end of the game. The too-long-didn't-read version is Ohio State has a third and 19 late. Notre Dame decides to put everybody in the end zone and play prevent defense. Got to put pressure on the quarterback. After they had just pressured the quarterback for an intentional grounding that caused Ohio State to call their last timeout so there wouldn't be a runoff, you rush three after that. Never. Okay. Can't do it. Wise. So they throw for exactly 19 yards, get it down to the two, rush up to the field. Notre Dame calls timeout. Even though Ohio State doesn't have one, let's take a look at the defense. Incomplete pass, three seconds to go. Ohio State hands the ball off, a ballsy move at that, touchdown. Crowd is stunned. You could hear a pin drop in South Bend. Incredible moment for Ohio State. They put one second back on the clock. Obviously, the pitchy-pitchy-woo-woo doesn't work. I don't think Notre Dame's practicing that very much. (laughs) Makes a lot of sense that they wouldn't see themselves in a lot of those situations. The game's over. Ryan Day screams, where's Lou Holtz? Lou's, first of all, been in bed for several hours. Secondly, I can't believe after one of the biggest wins of your life, the first thing you can think of is to call out Lou Holtz. 86-year-old Lou Holtz. Interesting choice. Okay. Shortly after the game ends, though, we realize as a sports fandom and world that Notre Dame potentially was missing one of its players on the last play of the game. Quick show of hands, a quick count with a pen. They only got 10 guys on the field. Sure enough, the guy that they were missing is exactly where Ohio State ran the ball for the touchdown. I wonder why nobody was there. He wasn't on the field, Hell, Not only that play, but the play before, after they called timeout. You want to talk about coaches not knowing how much time's on the clock. These dudes didn't know how many players were on the field. Twice. Well, I, I think they probably figured, look, we stopped it once with 10. Let, let, let's leave it alone. Worked once. I just... Yeah, first of all, with respect to Ryan Day, his team pulled a rabbit out of the hat. I thought that game was over when they got stopped on the fourth and short um, on the jet sweep. I thought Notre Dame was in great shape. Sam Hartman did not do anything for his Heisman, do anything positive for his Heisman hopes, because that to me was his Heisman game. And uh, I think 
that's gone by the boards. I understand, folks, it's early. The season just started, but that's the way the Heisman rolls. I mean, you need to play really well in that game and win or play fabulous and lose. And he did neither. He played okay, and they lost. And kid made the big throw. He's a mediocre quarterback. I thought he was a mediocre quarterback. My limited looks at him. For Iowa State, he looks like a mediocre quarterback, but he made a great throw thanks to a defense that did exactly what you said. They dropped eight, far too deep. They did not put any pressure on the quarterback. Always, always, always in those circumstances, I say pray. You got to at least rush four. At least rush four. Got to put pressure on. Got to make him throw it before he wants to. They didn't do it. They get the first down. Obviously, they run it in. I was... It's it's incredibly rare when I root for Notre Dame, and this was one such a night. And of course, they let me down. <laughs> no no juice in the game, which I'm sure you did. But uh, you can tell exactly who I had, Al. I I thought that they had a really good chance to win the game, and the way they were playing defensively, uh, I thought they were going to win the game. The whole way, I thought they were going to win the game. And I'm not going to say they gave it away, but that game was there for the taking. And they didn't take it. They let Ohio State take it back from them. And I don't think either one of those teams are great teams. I think they're both obviously really good teams. And, you know, maybe we don't have a great team this year. Don't know yet about Georgia because their quarterback situation. Uh, Maybe this Georgia team is you know, simply a, a very good team that's you know, the best of the group so far. But everybody looks like they've got flaws. Some of the quarterback scenario, some of the quarterback position. But we know at USC, it's their defense. With Ohio State, it certainly looks like the quarterback situation. And we'll, we'll see as we get a little further into the season just how good Michigan is because obviously they've got their quarterback back from last year that Harbaugh loves and uh, is a really good player, despite the fact he gave away the semifinal game you know, when McCarthy threw the two horrible kick sixes. Uh, so the jury is still out on how good Michigan is. I think they can be very good, but I need to see how good their defense is when they play some high-caliber opponents. Uh, and we don't know how good Georgia is. Yeah, you have to think simply with what Georgia has lost to the NFL the last two years, half the leagues, you know, half the Eagles played at Georgia in yeah. the last two years, half the Eagle roster. So they still may be the best team in the country, but they can't simply be as good as these last two teams. They, they cannot. It's not possible. And the quarterback session is, is, you know, obviously in a transitory scenario. So it's going to take some time. They're number one. I think it's going to be a battle between them and Michigan for a while. And we'll see which one of them loses first, if either of them do. But to me, those are the two right now that I think are a little separated from the rest of the pack. Uh, I'm not going to buy Texas for a while until I see them play somebody really good and have them play really well. 
Um, and you know, I, I root for USC all the time, but until I see how their defense plays uh, with the game on the line, which has never been good when it mattered, and then you have Oregon, which did what we all thought they were going to do, and they did it in prime time. Prime time, as they took apart the Rams, and. Uh, Buffaloes. I don't want to say quieted, quieted the coach, but they certainly shut down the Colorado Buffalo media hype, at least for a week, uh, where they literally blew them out of the building in Autzen Stadium. The coach gave a incredibly uh, emotional pregame speech, which had his team all fired up. And I'm sure you all saw it, uh, if not on ESPN, on YouTube. And then they just went out and completely dismantled and then really kind of took it easy. They could have beat them by 60 if they wanted to, I thought. And Colorado is you know, returned to earth, and now they have USC at home this week. So we'll see how they handle uh, the defending Heisman Trophy winner. And I'm curious to see just how good Oregon is. And I'm not judging it by what they did to Colorado, but – this is an Oregon team that's deep, got a veteran quarterback. Uh, this is what Bo Nix's 15th year in college football. Is Give he 35? Yeah, he would be the old report of the show, no question. <laughs> how, many, how many years was he at Auburn? Five. <laughs> Incredible. Seemed like he was at Auburn for four years. Maybe it was just me. Uh, but I think he's at least a fifth year senior. Uh, yeah, he's going on. Good. He started in 2019. So this is uh, this is year uh, five. 19, 20, 21, 22, 20. Okay, so not, not as long as I thought. But he, he's certainly savvy. He's certainly experienced. They're well coached. I can't gauge a whole lot off of Colorado. But you know, they've got – this is a terrific conference that we talked about before. Shame that it's going to be the last year of it that we know it. But, you know, you got Oregon State. You got WAMU. Uh Excuse Wasu. They've got USC, got them, and don't sleep on Washington with their Heisman candidate. So it, it's really a strong conference. Yeah, it's still too early, I think, to be able to plant a flag in the sand for really this is the best team in college football yet. Georgia and Michigan haven't really played anyone. Texas, you could lean on. If Baylor was better, Baylor's down horribly. Their starting quarterback's out, so they were outclassed against Texas. The Alabama win was obviously impressive, but we don't know how Alabama is. And Quinn Ewers hasn't looked stupendous in all four games. Against Wyoming, he didn't look great either. They were just without their starting quarterback. So they'll play Kansas, that high-flying offense. That'll be a test for them. Florida State snuck by Clemson. In overtime, not you could argue they didn't have any business winning that game. Clemson really blew it. And it's USC's defense. How's that going to work? Loved having the plus 30 and a half when they played Arizona State. Thank you, Arizona State, for only losing 42-38. We know their offense could score, but that's going to be a tough conference. I expect them to wallop Colorado, similarly to Oregon. So we're still not going to really know much about USC yet. 
Penn State's looked really good for their first four games, I will say. Defensively, West Virginia, I think, is a lot better than people thought they'd be for their first game. And not to say that Iowa's got any sort of offense, because they do not. So holding them scoreless they never is not do. surprising. <laughs> but 31 nothing against the Big Ten opponent, no matter what, is not something you could just scoff at. So they're, they're doing what they want to do. Iowa's got six tight ends that are going to go to the NFL, a bunch of offense, offensive linemen, a running back that you could ne- – who, who knows Who knows the quarterback's name at Iowa? Who knows the quarterback – who knows the quarterback's name at Wisconsin? Russell Wilson. It's the only one you know. It's the same guy every year. It's a guy who – looks like you know is, is six two or six three about 210 220 doesn't look like he moves very well is not elusive not fast not a lot of escapability and doesn't throw the ball that well that's the Iowa and Wisconsin quarterback it's the same guy every year they just go back and forth in flip-flop schools it's true they change numbers. It's yeah. the same guy. Yeah, it's like a video game, really, where they don't have any of the players. They're just all they ju- they random. Just, they just give the guy a di- they, they just the give the guy numbers. they just give the guy a different number yep. every three years. It's the same guy. He's forty five years old. Yeah, Pac twelve has a lot to be excited about because there's that's still a, high, a ton that's of optimism. A high fly, that is a high flying conference. It's going to be crazy, and it really, really sucks. That this is it. It's awful. We need to find a way. Before we get out of here, what excites you the most in Major League Baseball as some of these wild card races come down to the wire in the last week here, coming up to the end of the season? Uh, first and foremost, again, we, we have no way of knowing for sure what's going to happen. We can say, though, first, shout out to the Baltimore Orioles who have won the AL East fabulous. for the third time in my lifetime. And 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 obviously the passing, uh, we remember Brooks Robinson because, as I said to Chris Miller, it's one thing when you lose a great player, but we've now lost the two greatest of all time at their position in their sport. We lost the greatest football player in this to the NFL, obviously the greatest running back ever in the late great Jim Brown. Uh, a short time ago, and a couple of days ago, we lost Brooks Robinson, who was not Mike Schmidt or George Brett or Chipper Jones. Uh, you know, from an offensive standpoint, he was he was a very good offensive player, but Brooks Robinson was the gold standard of Major League third baseman. He himself said that Aaron Nolan Arenado is the greatest third baseman he's ever seen. And I love Nolan Arenado. He's my favorite player on the Cardinals. The Cardinals are my favorite team, and he's a fabulous third baseman. But growing up, when I grew up, you are always playing the favorite of from when you remember when. And Brooks Robinson won 16 straight gold gloves. No one was ever as good as Brooks Robinson charging and barehanding and throwing to first base. He put on one of the great shows in the history of the playoffs and World Series in 1970. Google it, folks. 
He was an incredible clutch hitter, 1964 MVP, uh, played on two Orioles World Series teams, played for the Orioles his entire career, and 16 gold gloves. You know, the all-time, I believe, position leader, non-pitcher, in terms of gold gloves. Uh, he was the gold standard. And first class, incredibly nice man. Everybody you listened to who knew him, who covered him, who interviewed him, everybody raves about what a wonderful gentleman and person uh, that Brooks Robinson was as a player. And after his career and his retirement, he is on the Baltimore Mount Rushmore of athletes. And uh, we lost him a couple of days ago at age 86. And I hope that the Orioles are going to have those patches on the jerseys for the postseason with the number five on them. Uh, they already got them on there. I'm just watching the highlights now from tonight's win. They've got, already got the fives on the right sleeve. And uh, they'll be playing with the thoughts of the greatest third defensive third baseman in the history of sport. Uh, I'm sure on their minds as they begin their playoff run. But the other best thing for me besides the Orioles is that it looks so far after tonight like the Cubs may be fucked, which, you know, after this absolutely horrendous, the worst season of my life uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals, that the only silver lining to the cloud could be that the Cubs, after this nice run, don't make the postseason. They got swept by the Braves tonight. The Nets and the Marlins, Marlins rallied in the top of the ninth for two, but for some reason the umpires decided to stop that game with it raining, knowing it wasn't going to stop raining until Sunday or Saturday night, whatever the case may be. So there's no way they're going to finish that game tonight. And if that game means anything, it wouldn't be played until Monday. But more importantly, the Marlins have the Pirates over the weekend and the Cubs have to go to Milwaukee and the Marlins have the tiebreaker. So there's a good chance that the Cubs could get shut out of the playoffs. And to me, that's what I'm looking forward to. (laughs) That's the best thing that could happen for me. And obviously what's going on in the American League um, you know, this race between Seattle and Houston, it looks like Texas is going to win the division and Toronto in the three team race, Toronto beat the Yankees tonight. They're in really good shape. And now Seattle really needs to win this game tonight against Texas. And if they don't, uh, they will be in dire straits. Yeah. As a Yankees fan, that was probably the biggest thing going for us as far as the, well, if we can't, Hopefully that other team doesn't. That was the Astros getting left out of the wild card. Unfortunately, it's not looking great for them. There could be a miracle in the last three days, of course. I think it's a game and a half between them and the Mariners, who are trailing 2-1 to one currently against the Rangers. And the Mariners had the tiebreaker. Right. You said earlier, the Orioles are clearly the story. of As, as great as the Braves' season has been, I mean, the Orioles won 100 games. Yeah. This is the team that time forgot. I think it was five years ago now. They traded Manny Machado. And then the player that they traded for happened to be the guy standing on the mound tonight 
to start the game and win what would be their clinching game five years later. Dean Kremer. Who's had a terrific season. Quite the story. Five years later from when it was, what are they doing? A complete rebuild? Well, here we are. And now they just have, and they have drafted so incredibly well. They got guys coming. You know, obviously, Matt Holiday, son Jackson Holiday, Gunnar Henderson, the shortstop. Uh, I think he hit his 29th home run tonight, uh, breaking Cal Rep, Cal Ripken's uh, Cal Ripken's junior's record. Uh, obviously, the catcher, the number one pick from a couple of years ago, Adley Rushman, is a terrific young player and probably the leader of the team. Uh, they're they have got some incredible young talent on this team. And now the pitching is starting to come around. Grayson Rodriguez, since he came back from the minors, has been extraordinary. They're going to be a tough out. They're going to be a tough out in, this, in, the, in the American League. I'm telling you. A quick thought before we go. Damian Lillard finally traded from the Portland Trailblazers. Shocked. I was shocked. To the Milwaukee the Bucks? Deal. Shocked at the deal. Wow. Didn't see it coming. Blockbuster it trade. Coming. More information is coming out as the past couple days have gone on. Why it happened. Who knew it was going to happen. If he wanted to go to Miami. The three-team he, deal yeah. was the Suns received Nurkic, Grayson Allen. Shout out national champion Grayson Allen. Nasir Little and Keon Johnson. The Blazers got dirty, DeAndre Aiden, Tamara, and Drew Holiday, national champion. And Holiday is expected to potentially picks, be traded again. Picks, picks of course, picks, swapped rights, all that nonsense. I and they're going to flip Drew Holiday for, I'm sure, very high value. So I thought uh, the Blazers did a great job. They got a solid young center who signed. And, look, he's not a great player. But he's a very good player. They got an incredible player in Drew Holiday, who they will flip for, I'm sure, an excellent return. And they got a bunch of picks uh, and pick swaps. So I thought they did very well. And, you know, is Milwaukee better? I, I guess they're a little better. They're a little better because... You know, he's better offensively, obviously, than Holiday, but they're they're not nearly as good defensively without Holiday. He's thirty three. No, Holiday's about the same age, so it's not you know that he's any older than Holiday. Um, but you know, Giannis put the pressure on. You know, remember, yeah, everybody's favorite guy, Giannis, never wants to leave Milwaukee. Boy, everybody wishes they had a guy like this. All he wants to do is play and get better, boom, win a championship. And then the next couple of years, you know, kind of, I, I don't want to say gag or choke, but, you know, as we said before, many, many times on this program, if you want to be an all-time great, it's hard to be great all the time. And Giannis wasn't great this past postseason. Went back to missing a bunch of free throws. And as defending champs, he wasn't great. Forcing the action sometimes. The Giannis out of control, charging fouls. The Giannis taking 
ill-advised threes, you know, 10 for 26 or whatever it was from the foul line, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, it certainly wasn't the Giannis we saw in the postseason when they won the title. And now he starts beefing about, you know, they got to bring in player. You know, if I'm, I don't know if I'm going to stay. They got they to show a commitment to how they're not committed to winning. That's what I didn't understand. They're bringing everybody back. You know, they signed Lopez. All right. Now, Holiday's making a ton of money. Well, he's gone now. They brought back your wingman and signed him to, I think, a three-year a three-year deal, I think. Um, who struggled with the knee. So, you know, there's only so much space under the cap where you can bring guys in. You got, you know, Bobby Portis is back. So, uh, what were you looking for them to do? You know, you, but they went on and did it anyway. He put the pressure on, and what they do? They went out and brought a $50 million a year player and gave up, I don't want to say the heart and soul of the team, but they gave up the heart and soul of the team. Drew Holiday. Drazen Allen? Oh, is, my fault. Drew Holiday. <laughs> is their guts. He was their heartbeat. So we'll see just how good Dean can be as part of a big two. Should be exciting. Definitely blew enough fireworks. No question about it, good or bad for the Bucks, And a little bit of saltiness from our friends down in Miami. And the question becomes, where now? Where is Drew Holiday going to wind up? And what I'm sure more get, comes uh, out from this? These backwashings of what happened behind the scenes of this trade. Yeah, hmm. I, I, it could be Boston, could be Philly, could be Miami. Come to Lakers, we'll Jay, we'd love to have you. We don't have any money. Yeah, That's I, 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 I would love to see. Uh, obviously, I've always wanted him on the Lakers, <laughs> but there's no way they can bring Come him over. in. I don't know how the money's going to work. You're probably going to have to pay for a, a nice warm meal at the end of the game, but come on down. Oh, we, we could work it financially, but the problem is the guys we would trade are guys who just signed, so yeah. they're not tradable. Right. There you have it. The full gamut. NFL, college football, baseball, basketball. Everything hits the news this week. That's what we do here. That's it. That's what the new report, old report, is all about. Giving our friends and our fans a full plate, a heaping, heaping, helping, what is it, heaping, I forgot, uh, but a, lo a lot of hospitality, plain and simple. You get a full plate here, uh, not just a la carte. We give you the whole kit and caboodle, one price, and uh, we got a huge weekend coming up. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, from my partner, the great John Tiny Lund, I am Al Renato, a.k.a. from White Plains. Enjoy the last weekend of the regular season in baseball, and we'll see with a playoff. Maybe, maybe. You never know. You never know. We may have to wait till Monday with Mets Marlins. But remember, folks, no game 163s. All tiebreakers. Enjoy the last weekend of the Major League Baseball season. Take care, everybody. 
We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.